you're going to run for president. I am going to run for president. Oh. Hello, Bernie. Nice to see you. What you been up to lately? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, and oh, welcome aboard WADR in Janesville, Wisconsin. Glad to have you here. And of course, in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly. FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, and yes, welcome aboard WADR 1035. In Janesville, Wisconsin. Which that's awesome. I think that's Paul Ryan's hometown, I if I recall. I believe it is. And so, so good for them. Yeah, well, because now he, that he's out of a job, he'll have something to listen to. Hi, Paul. Hope you're well. Uh, anyway, <laughs> welcome aboard, guys. Uh, good to have you with us. And uh, also thanks to Angie Coiro for filling in for us on uh, Friday. Lots to get caught up on today, especially since, well... You know, it's like we're gone for a day or two, and it's like a national emergency or something. <laughs> yes, yes. Shockingly, <laughs> it is, just like that, because uh, it is. Actually, it is a national emergency, according to our president. So I hope I hope everyone listening out there is okay, that you've got plenty of food, water, uh, batteries, flashlights, blankets, whatever you need to survive to shelter this emergency. In place. Yes, please do. Everything you need, or in the case of the President of the United States, I hope that he's got enough golf balls to make it through until our long national emergency is finally over. Yes, the crucial golf ball supply in a national emergency should not be underestimated. In the meantime, on Monday, a coalition of 16 Democratic attorneys general led by Javier Becerra in uh, California out here filed a loss, a federal lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of Donald Trump's latest move last week to invoke emergency powers to access more money to build potentially hundreds of miles of wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. The uh, suit filed in the U.S. District Court for Northern District of uh, California 
whose judges have ruled against Donald Trump uh, and many of his policies in the past. The uh, suit says that Trump does not have the power to circumvent Congress and divert up to $8 billion in funds for the construction of that wall because Congress wouldn't give it to him. The suit says that the legislative branch controls government spending and that Trump's move is unconstitutional. We will, I'm, I'm sure, be covering that suit as it moves forward. But some good-ish news amidst our ongoing emergencies and nightmares, at least for the moment, maybe, for now, news from the National Butterfly Center on the border of the Rio Grande River, which uh, last week had heavy machinery rolling into and cutting down parts of the 100-acre wildlife refuge until the Congressional Compromise Funding Bill was signed by Trump last week, uh, which actually includes a carve-out of sorts for now to avoid destruction of the Butterfly Center. But as usual, there is a caveat there as well, and we will get to that caveat a bit later with uh, Desi Doyen and our Green News Report, Des, in which we also celebrate, yes... Our 10th anniversary of the Green News Report today. Yes, I know. It's kind of crazy. It's I still can't believe it. We have been knocking out uh, six minutes of independent Green News politics analysis and snarky comment, as that guy says, uh, twice a week for, for free for any radio station around the country who would like to run it. Uh, we have now been doing that for a full decade. And yes... It feels like it. Uh, and and by the way, uh, that's all thanks uh, that uh, we, we do that uh, twice a week and send it out to radio stations. Only thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to support that effort. Uh, Lord knows Exxon and Halliburton and who else? Uh, Monsanto. The Dow, Koch brothers. Dow Chemical. The Koch brothers. Uh, nor the Democratic or Republican parties. None of them have been willing to help keep us on your public airwaves over these past 10 years for some reason. So my great thanks, our great thanks, to those of you who have stepped up to help uh, Desi and me continue to connect the climate change dots for 10 years, beginning long before most folks even understood that we have a serious problem with climate change and global warming on our hands. That's true. Even I didn't understand it. I know. And it's one of those things that Frank Luntz, the GOP pollster guru, always says you keep repeating and repeating and repeating something until you are sick of repeating it. And then about that time is when the public is first hearing about it. So I hope, I hope we're in the stage where the public is now hearing about it and grasping the gravity of the situation. Well, polls that you have reported on the Green News Report actually approve as much. So, yes, they are starting. I hope it sticks. Yeah, well, anyway, thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to keep the fuel in our Prius tank, both literally and figuratively. We thank you. Uh, we would not be here without you, period. And and we still need your help. So uh, if you enjoy the GNR or the broadcast or appreciate at all that we're here, uh, you can stop by bradblog.com slash donate 
to say as much. Uh, all of uh, that in the uh, 10th anniversary Green News Report is ahead. Some uh, electoral politics, however, for a change here today. The second place finisher in the 2016 Democratic primary. Who was it, Desi Doyen? Bernie Sanders. Right. Senator Bernie Sanders to you, <laughs> independent of Vermont. He announced very early on Tuesday morning that he is launching a bid for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination, hoping to reignite the uh, strong progressive support of his insurgent 2016 campaign in his second run for the office. Sanders told CBS this morning's John Dickerson that he is vowing to launch a grassroots movement that will, quote, lay the groundwork for transforming the economic and political life of this country, stressing <laughs> that the uh, chief priority for Democrats is to thwart Donald Trump's reelection bid next year by joining the most diverse Democratic primary field in U.S. history, the 77-year-old self-described Democratic Socialist will face more difficulty billing himself as the standard bearer of the Democratic Party's progressive wing this time around, notes CBS. In 2016, Sanders mounted a uh, forceful, forceful but ultimately unsuccessful challenge against the establishment candidate and eventual Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. It did, however, prompt her to move to the left on a number of key issues. But the three-term senator, they note, is now entering a field already crowded with several high-profile candidates, including five other senators. But there is still no clear favorite. Candidates like Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts have begun highlighting their own progressive bona fides on the campaign trail throwing their support behind things like Medicare for All and the Green News New Deal while uh, being tough on Wall Street, etc. So far, we've got nearly a dozen Democrats who have declared their candidacy for president or launched exploratory committees. That would include Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, and uh, former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro. Then there are others still considering getting in, including Joe Biden, former Texas Rep Beto O'Rourke, Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, New York City Mayor Bloomberg, and pretty much everyone else. Uh, in an interview with Dickerson, Sanders, however, said that he will again campaign on progressive policies like raising the minimum wage, universal health care, and tuition-free public higher education. The Vermont uh, lawmaker took credit for the support that those policies, which were, in fact, once considered fringe policies way, way back in, oh, I don't know, 2016. Uh, he took some credit for the fact that they are now uh, pretty much supported by rank and file Democrats and have proven to be quite popular among voters. Sanders garnered more than 13 million primary votes in 2016 and carried 23 states during the uh, primaries by energizing a movement of young voters with fiery populist rhetoric. Here's part of his conversation today on CBS announcing his 2020 run with John Dickerson. You're going to run for president. I am going to run for president. That's correct. What's going to be different this time? We're going to win. We are going to 
also launch what I think is unprecedented uh, in modern American history, and that is a grassroots movement, John, to lay the groundwork for transforming the economic and political life of this country. That's what's different. And that's your theory, which is that without the groundswell, without the grassroots, you can't change the politics. That's exactly right. Look, John, somebody can come before you and say, look, I want to do A and I want to do B, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, the only way that real change takes place is when millions of people stand up, fight back, and say, enough is enough. We're going to have a government that works for all of us, not just a few. But bottom line for me is I think uh, it is absolutely imperative that Donald Trump uh, be defeated because I think it is unacceptable and un-American, to be frank with you, that we have a president who is a pathological liar, and it gives me no pleasure to say that, but it's true. We have a president who is a racist, who is a sexist, who is a xenophobe, who is doing what no president in our lifetimes has come close to doing, and that is trying to divide us up. But all of your opponents will say, we've got to get Donald Trump out of the White House. That's not your distinguishing characteristic, so... That is not my distinguishing characteristic. I think what I am very proud of, and in in a sense, this campaign, John, is a continuation of what we did in 2016. You will recall, you may recall, that in 2016, many of the ideas that I talked about Medicare for all, raising the minimum wage uh, to $15 an hour, uh, making public colleges and universities tuition free. All of those ideas, people say, oh, Bernie, they're so radical, they are extreme. The American people just won't accept those ideas. Well, you know what's happened in over three years? All of those ideas and many more are now part of the political mainstream. So you're saying the party came your way? Well, I don't want to say that. I think. Most people would say that. Is that your argument then against your competitors, which is, I was Medicare for all before Medicare for all was cool? (laughs) I guess that's one way of looking at it, but it's, no. Uh, I know many of the people, certainly the senators who are running, and without exception, I am fond of them. They are, in some cases, my friends. Let me ask you on your Medicare for all. You uh, have talked about the fact that polls show 70% are in favor of Medicare for all, but that number drops to 37 if somebody hears private insurance is going to go away, which, yeah. is what your, which is what your plan offers. So I guess my question is, you're offering something that the polling shows people can get very spooked very quickly about. No, well, but that's because we're going to be taking on the insurance companies and the drug companies who are going to spend a whole lot of money distorting what we believe in. The bottom line is, the average middle-class family will save money, will spend less money on health care, will have more choice and have broader coverage than is currently the case. The other challenge to your health care plan will be cost. People will say, my goodness, there's no way this is, everybody's going to get covered, and they're, well, John, you, you know has, some of the estimates that come out. No, I need you, know, you in the media to help us dollars. explain the truth. Yeah. No more out-of-pocket expenses. No more deductibles. The cost of prescription drugs is going to go down. We expand the kinds of coverage available for senior citizens. It's a good deal. Howard Schultz has now said he would not run as an independent if the Democrats moderate, uh, nominate Oh, moderate. isn't that nice? Why is Howard Schultz on every television station in this country? Why are you quoting Howard Schultz? Because he's a billionaire, all right? There are a lot of people I know personally who work hard for a living, who make forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year, who know a lot more about politics than in all due respect does Mr. Schultz. But because we have a corrupt political system, anybody who is a billionaire who can throw a lot of TV ads on television, suddenly becomes very, very credible. So what Mr. Schultz, 
what is he blackmailing the Democratic Party? If you don't nominate Bernie Sanders, he's not going to run. Well, I don't think we should succumb to that kind of blackmail. The other reason is that he represents an argument that some people make, which is if you're worried about Donald Trump, the Democratic Party to win voters in various parts of the country needs to pick somebody who is not so radical. That's also what his theory. Well, I think his deeper theory is, hey, I'm a billionaire. Leave me alone. And uh, let me make as much money as I can without paying my fair share of taxes. He's a billionaire. He's thinking of running for president. Suddenly he's a very famous guy. That's that is a problem with our political system. Yeah, it is. That's Bernie Sanders speaking with John Dickerson this morning on CBS this morning, announcing uh, his intention of running for president or for the nomination in any event for the Democratic uh, nomination. For 2020. You know, one of the things that CBS had said was that there's no front runner yet. It's like, no, there should be no front runner. We're still a year away from the 2020 primaries. I think it is a wonderful opportunity for us to have this conversation that we've been needing to have for years now, fleshing out these ideas, fleshing out these policies, for example, like Medicare for All and the Green New Deal. So don't follow the horse race that they continue to focus on. The and, stuff. you know, uh, it, it would be nice, and hopefully we will have the time to talk about it. It's very early still, but, you know, comparing ideas amongst the Democratic candidates. Why Dickerson felt that he should, you know, take up half that conversation talking about Howard Schultz. <laughs> exactly. Starbucks CEO who has absolutely no political experience, absolutely no political ideas either, by the way, other than, oh, everybody else is terrible. I'm yeah. a billionaire. So please talk about me and let me run as an independent and siphon votes away from whoever. And I don't mind uh, if third party runs, but this guy has absolutely no experience and no ideas. And yet, boom, CNN puts him on for an hour-long uh, town hall. John Dickerson brings him up with, uh, you know, he didn't contrast Bernie Sanders' ideas with the other Democrats in the race. He goes no. straight to this guy, Howard Schultz. What? Who hasn't even actually seriously announced anything. He's just talking about it and saying, don't raise my taxes. So there's plenty that could be talked about. And you're right. Dickerson chose not to focus on them. That's the kind of corporate media that we have. That's why, as uh, Sanders noted there, that all the policies that he's called for, most of the rest of the Democrats uh, now running uh, are also calling for. And among not just Democrats, but among Americans, those ideas are all very popular. And yet when they were raised originally back in 2016, Folks like Dickerson and others thought, oh, this is just crazy. It's a crazy idea. We could never do these things. Nobody wants them. It will bankrupt the country. Well, they're popular ideas. They should be discussed, and it should not be up to CBS or any other media outlet as to what is doable, what is not, what is possible, what is not, what is radical, what is not. We should have the conversation amongst ourselves, period. After the announcement uh, uh, today about uh, Bernie's uh, entering the race, after that aired on CBS, before noon Eastern time, Sanders had raised more than $1 million for his campaign in less than four hours. That, according to his team, puts him well ahead of the other contenders who launched their bids with strong financial support. An aide confirmed on Tuesday to CBS that Sanders had easily raised more than one million in the first three and a half hours since he uh, since he launched at 7 a.m. Eastern time. 
an aide confirmed that some and said, quote, and California is just getting up. That's true. <laughs> um, yes. A full campaign finance report won't be available until later this year to independently verify that amount. But if true CBS notes, the whole puts Sanders well ahead of other contenders who also raised big money after their announcements. In January, Senator Kamala Harris raised about one and a half million from more than 38,000 people uh, in all 50 states in her first 24 hours of, uh, of her campaign. That was a lot of money. Uh, the average donation there was thirty-seven dollars. Her her campaign uh, had told CBS Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota she also raised more than a million dollars in the first forty-eight hours of her campaign. Senators Warren and Gillibrand and Booker did not uh, see spikes quite as large as those, but they have millions of dollars already in their Senate campaign. Uh, accounts that they can transfer to the uh, to the race. Warren had about twelve and a half million in her 2018 reelection campaign coffers. Gillibrand had about ten million. Booker's campaign had about four, a little over four million at the end of 2017. Um, so uh, a lot of this still comes down to money, sadly. Uh, all of that said, Sanders does face a lot of issues that he did not face in 2016, which might make the 2020 run a bit tougher. Cameron Joseph over at TPM uh, breaks down a number of those issues. He notes that uh, Sanders brings uh, some huge advantages to his second run at the White House that he, he didn't have last time around, including a strong brand and loyal following that he built in 2016. But he also faces some significant new challenges that he didn't have last time. Among them, he is not, as I mentioned, the only true progressive that is running this time around. In 2016, Sanders was the only candidate prodding the tiny 2020 uh, Democratic presidential field to the left on fiscal issues. But uh, in doing so, Sanders was able to coalesce the progressive wing of the party and come around and, and, and come within a few hundred delegates of winning the nomination. This time, however, it's going to be harder. Polls show Democrats support a lot of Sanders policies, but many of his rivals have also uh, joined them as he looks to compete for those progressive votes. Uh, so his pool will be split up amongst a lot of these uh, candidates where it wasn't necessarily last time when he ran against the um, establishment favorite, Hillary Clinton. Uh, and uh, let's see, also uh, social issues are not where he necessarily excels over uh, economic-related issues. Social issues don't necessarily play to his strengths, though, you know, I think he took a bad rap back in 2016. He does have a history with the civil rights movement back from his student days when he was arrested protesting in favor of uh, civil rights and voting rights. Um, but he does have uh, a record not very favorable to folks who are looking for uh, gun safety laws and so forth. Uh, he has not been consistent with the Democratic Party on those measures historically. Uh, he voted five times against the Brady Bill that mandated background checks on gun purchases. He backed a bill supported by the National Rifle Association to make it harder to sue gun manufacturers. He has, however, shifted on those issues and on immigration issues, by the way. He has 
recently called for a ban on semi-automatic weapons. He's backed more recent efforts at comprehensive immigration reform. He's been a vocal critic of Trump's immigration policies. Uh, Also, he may be hurt in that Hillary Clinton isn't running. As uh, Cam Joseph argues, a good part of why Sanders was able to coalesce more liberal voters behind him in 2016 was because he was the strongest voice in the primary for progressive economic policy. But his opponent, Hillary Clinton, made a difference, fairly or not, he notes. Clinton proved to be a deeply polarizing figure among Democratic primary voters. And Sanders' strength came not just because he did so well with younger and more liberal white voters. It's also because uh, he cleaned up with blue-collar voters across the Rust Belt and Appalachia, fueling wins in Indiana, Michigan, Oklahoma, West Virginia, not necessarily bastions of liberalism. This time around, uh, there are going to be candidates with appeal to such working-class white Democratic voters, most likely, including Joe Biden, who is mulling a run, Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, also mulling a run, and Amy Klobuchar, a senator from Minnesota, she has already announced. Uh, So without Clinton as a foil, Joseph argues, it may be much harder for Sanders to galvanize the same coalition. We shall see some of the significant challenges that were not there in 2016 for Bernie Sanders. Uh, But never mind 2020. We're not even done with 2018 yet around here. Let's take a quick break. And we, yes, we'll come back with the news out of North Carolina today, where the U.S. House congressional seat for the state's 9th congressional district still remains empty. Now nearly four months since the November 2018 election because, well... Because of GOP election fraud. We should finally have some news on that this week. I will share what we know right uh, what we know now right after this. Hope you'll stay with us. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yeah, we we really don't have that many Carolina songs, do we? (laughs) No, we don't. All right, so that'll have to do. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, uh, North Carolina now finally has a state board of elections again after the previous one was found to have been unconstitutional by the state Supreme Court after Republicans there in the legislature had tried to take power away from the governor to oversee such boards in the state because a Democrat, Governor Roy Cooper, was elected in 2016, replacing Republican Governor Pat McCrory and the state legislature, which is still dominated by Republicans attempted this huge power grab, much of which has been rolled back by the courts. One of them was essentially to take power away from the governor 
to control the state elections boards. Uh, and uh, with the, but now that has been two years later, it it took. But now that has been corrected. There is a uh, I think it's a three to two Democratic uh, advantage on the state election board and the various county elections boards uh, also have a uh, Democratic advantage, uh, which is because whoever is in uh, the gubern- in the in the governor's office, whoever's party is essentially uh, gets to control those boards. And so now, in any event, with the new constitutional state election board now finally in place, They have begun hearings this week into the 2018 U.S. House race in the 9th Congressional District, where the Republican candidate Mark Harris is said to have defeated Democrat Dan McCrady by just 905 votes out of about 275,000 votes that were cast last November. That advantage is thanks in no small part, apparently, to a Republican contractor hired by the uh, hired to run uh, the absentee ballot program by that Republican candidate, Mark Harris, uh, in part of the 9th Congressional District, where GOP absentee ballot fraud was found not just in 2018, but it was found by the state back in 2016 after the, uh, the election that year. The state referred their evidence to the uh, Department of Justice. I should note the Trump Department of Justice. Uh, but the Trump Department of Justice ignored all of that and all of the, uh, th- that referral and all of that evidence that this exact same thing by the same exact contractor occurred back in 2016. So those charges were ignored over the, those two years between 2016 and 2018. And then they happened, surprise, surprise, again in 2018 in the 9th District race, which the state has refused to certify so far because that same contractor hired by Mark Harris in this case appears to have uh, carried out the same fraud. This week, the state board is finally holding hearings on the matter. They're digging into these fraud allegations in this contested 9th District race. Which uh, where they still have not seated their member of Congress this session. Politico reports the district has gone without a congressman this year after the board declined to certify the 2018 election results amid accusations that Leslie McCray Dowless Jr., the operative hired by Republican Mark Harris, uh, his, his campaign, that Dowless organized an illegal scheme to collect and mark absentee ballots. Harris, uh, his campaign sued to be named the winner over these past few months, but his petition was denied by a state judge after Special Deputy Attorney General Amar Majmundar, the election board's attorney, argued that it was, quote, an open question as to who rightfully won the election. Majmundar added that the material gathered by investigators suggested that, quote, the number of disputed votes more than sufficiently call the margin of Harris's election night lead, quote, into question. Still, the board's inquiry could last three days this week and, according to Politico, is likely to end in one of three ways. Either the board will declare Harris to be the winner 
or they will order a new election, or there could be a stalemate where they can't get enough votes for any of those choices and the confusion will continue. There are three Democrats and two Republicans on this five-member election board and someone would have to cross the aisle to either certify the results for Harris or to deliver the four-vote supermajority necessary to call a new election. So you see why this could all end in a stalemate. Sure. Local Democrats are already preparing for a new election. The uh, Democratic candidate from last year, McCready, has been pulling in uh, a pretty sizable, a very sizable fundraising haul in the five weeks after he withdrew his concession, which he, for some reason, rushed to offer on election night before the votes were even counted late last year. In the final month of 2018, McCready raised reportedly $500,000 from uh, mostly small donations. Harris, the Republican, he raised less than $4,000 Oh, over that same period. That's a considerable difference. Ain't it, though? That, of course, was all as the investigation into his campaign's apparent fraud came to light after a brief effort by state Republicans to distance themselves. Originally, you may recall last year, we don't know Harris, we don't know anything about him. You know, now the North Carolina GOP is squarely behind him in a memo released Friday. The North Carolina GOP said that they, quote, firmly believe that the, quote, evidence and lack thereof will result in the certification of who they call Congressman-elect Mark Mm. Harris. Simply put, they note anomalies are not a valid reason to overturn an election because they undoubtedly occur in nearly every election. So these are simply anomalies. What happened here, Des? This idea of election fraud, we don't really need to look at that. Come on. It happens in every election. Why should we make special legislation or take any particular action over anomalies? This is North Carolina, which has attempted year after year to pass the most restrictive election laws in the nation that would have, if they hadn't been overturned by the courts, would have resulted in thousands of perfectly legal voters uh, would have been prevented from being able to cast a vote because of imaginary polling place election fraud that Republicans claim. But evidence uh, and the state and federal courts clearly dispute their imaginary evidence in most of those cases. Uh, All of that, you know, back in in 2017 and 2018, when they were trying to get those laws in place, while Donald Trump's own U.S. attorney in North Carolina brought a handful of dubious cases against supposed non-citizen voters while completely ignoring an actual fraud scheme to steal actual elections as the State Board of Elections tried to uh, get them to notice after the 2016 election. So now, if the election board does deadlock uh, and can't either call a new election or certify the 2018 results, then the whole matter will go to the U.S. House of Representatives. They could step in to investigate and... Well, they could declare a winner or they could declare the seat to be vacant. That would then trigger a special election in the 9th District, where I think all of this just has to go eventually, given particularly what we have learned uh, over the past 24 hours or so. Democrats in the House are already uh, taking investigative steps. 
to plan for this eventuality of the entire thing getting thrown to the U.S. House, uh, which has power overseeding its own members. There's also precedent for the chamber to use that power. Nancy uh, Pelosi, speaker, has warned that the House reserves the right to stop Harris from being seated, at which point the House Administration Committee would then launch its own investigation. Meanwhile, the State Board of Elections inquiry, as I said, got underway on Monday. And the State Board of Elections director charged that there was a, quote, coordinated, unlawful and substantially resourced absentee ballot scheme in two counties that was carried out by the operative hired by the Republican candidate, a plot to falsify and steal absentee ballots in the district. Director Kim Strack Uh, who had she's the one who had pretty much begged the DOJ to take action after the 2016 election. She uh, made these claims on Monday, uh, as uh, reported by uh, Charlotte's NPR affiliate WFAE, describing a scheme where the GOP political operative McCray Dallas would pay workers to illegally collect people's absentee ballots in those two counties. It is illegal in North Carolina for anyone other than a guardian or a close family member to even handle any voter's uh, ballot, much less go around and collect them in bulk from voters, which Dallas and his operatives appear clearly to have done here. Uh, Dallas would then, according to uh, Strack, allegedly stash the ballots in his home or his office And then take measures like matching the ink colors on the ballots, which his workers would then forge with altered votes and fake witness signatures. Wow. He went to a lot of detail. Yeah. To bring across this fraud. Allegedly. Allegedly. We reported uh, last year on uh, residents who said that Dallas uh, operatives had stopped by their house to pick up ballots, often before they had been fully voted or signed or the secrecy envelopes not even sealed. That alone is a violation of North Carolina law. But then adding uh, uh, new votes to try and match the existing votes of voters with their specific ink color that they use. Well, obviously, that is unlawful everywhere, not just in North Carolina. Uh, And by the way, there's still questions about whether Dallas even submitted all of the ballots that he and his workers collected. Uh, But note the effort that Dallas had to take to try to hide the falsified hand-marked paper ballots. They had to try and match the ink colors on the ballots one at a time to try to hide their crime. And even that did not work, apparently. They appear to have gotten caught here. Now, had these been, you know, computer votes, a bad guy would have been able to just simply flip the selections inside the machines or the tabulators and nobody would have ever been able to discover evidence of the crime. But now they have evidence of the crime because they can match ink samples and so forth. Uh, not so on computer voting systems, touchscreen systems. Oh, hello, entire state of Georgia. And soon my own Los Angeles County and parts of Pennsylvania and Texas and Iowa who are moving to these touchscreen systems. Uh, for his part, Dallas was called to testify at the inquiry on Monday, but his attorney refused to put him on the stand without legal immunity 
before he would testify, which when, frankly, I first heard about this, I kind of had a laugh. I mean, these are crimes that he seems to have committed. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> The, the board wisely refused to grant him that immunity. So uh, he was, however, present for the hearing, but he did not take the stand. Uh, hopefully he will be charged later for all of this. A worker for Dallas, however, a woman by the name of Lisa Britt, who was at one point his daughter-in-law, did take the stand. She testified that Dallas had instructed her and other uh, uh, other witnesses here, other people that worked for Dallas, to plead the Fifth Amendment. Since, uh, according to Charlotte's uh, NPR affiliate again, WFAE, he told them they have nothing on us. I think they do have something on them. They have quite a bit. Britt probably wisely uh, ignored the advice to uh, take the fifth. She did take the stand. She said that Dallas had uh, given her explicit directions to avoid getting caught in this scheme, like making sure to affix the stamp correctly on the ballot return envelope, changing up the witness signatures, which they were faking in the proper color ink. She testified that Dallas's employees got around 150 to 175,000. I'm sorry, 150 to 175 dollars, <laughs> not thousand, uh, for every 50 absentee ballots, uh, ballot request forms that were illicitly collected. Basically, what they would do is they would, you know, go around and uh, get folks to sign up for an absentee ballot, and I don't think encouraging them to uh, request an absentee ballot, that alone is not illegal. But then that meant that they had the address of all of these people who had requested ballots, so they were able to return to the House and then say, hey, you got that absentee ballot? We'll turn it in for you. Let me help you. I'll turn it in. Uh, and so they were paying, you know, in batches of, uh, you know, for batches of 50 absentee ballot requests that were illicitly collected and, and then the ballots themselves. And again, remember, Harris is only ahead of the Democrat McCready here by just over 900 votes. So it wouldn't have taken a lot of uh, a lot of these workers to flip the entire election, which is essentially what the state elections board is arguing. Lisa Britt on the stand also testified during the uh, uh, elections hearing on Monday that Dallas instructed his employees to fill out illegally collected absentee ballots with votes for the Republican candidate in cases where those votes were not filled in. She said that most of the ballots had the congressional race and sheriff uh, race filled out because those were apparently the major elections. Uh, that topped the ballot in these two counties, while Republican Mark Harris paid Dallas to run his absentee ballot effort in rural Bladen and Robeson counties. So did Bladen County Sheriff Jim McVicker, who won re-election last November. He's not gotten a lot of attention, but he also hired this uh, this uh, same scam artist, McCray Dallas for his absentee ballot uh, campaign. Uh, so hopefully someone is looking at McVicker very closely here as well. He's refused to discuss his agreement with Dallas and so forth. Anyway, Britt said during her uh, during her testimony that Dallas, Dallas and his cohort um, 
cohorts would fill in the empty votes for more minor down-ballot races if they weren't already filled in. Basically, she said what we would do, what I would do, is to submit the voter the vote for whoever was the Republican, she testified, admitting that they would tamper with these collected ballots back at Dallas's home or office. Here's a little bit of Britt's testimony. Apologies in advance. The audio quality from the State Board of Elections video feed was not very good, but this should give you an idea of Lisa Britt's testimony on Monday. If some of the things hadn't been filled in, we would fill in the, the ones who had not been filled in. So if it was unsealed and the ballot was not completely voted, you would fill in the other offices? Yes, ma'am. And where would you do that? Either at the office or at the home. Were you directly <coughs> voted to, to mark a ballot of a particular candidate in those other races? No, ma'am. And so do you believe that was, was Mr. Dallas working for any of those other races? Not to my knowledge. Basically, what we would do, well, what I would do would be just about to vote whoever was the Republican on that. So uh, she went on to testify there. And again, sorry, that's hard to understand. But that was the public hearing on Monday in North Carolina. Uh, she went on to testify that they would fill out these other races on the ballot, largely because uh, even though they weren't hired by these other candidates, they thought it might be suspicious if the Board of Elections got a bunch of absentee ballots that came in only with votes for Harris and Sheriff McVicker. So they added these other Republican votes to those ballots. Obviously, she did not take Dallas's advice to uh, take the fifth there, uh, as as uh, she says he told her to do. Uh, while Dallas and Harris's main campaign consultant uh, were in constant contact, according to Britt, uh, she says she did not have any indication that Harris knew about the operation that Dallas was running. She testified that uh, she thought, quote, Mr. Harris was completely clueless as to what was going on. Don't know if I believe that to be the case or not, uh, particularly since um, previous elections where Harris did not hire this Dallas guy. He ended up with like four absentee votes in Bladen County. He ended up losing when he didn't hire Dallas. Hmm. In one case, uh, Britt said that she picked up the, this is amazing, the completed ballot of an elderly black woman. A full week later, she was told to return the woman's ballot after a local black empowerment group complained to Dallas that she was uh, a voter that they had recruited. According to AP, Britt said she had no explanation for why Dallas still had the ballot in his possession a week later after collecting it rather than turning it in to the local elections board. So there's a question, as I said, about how many ballots were never turned in at all. So, uh, <laughs> Very quickly, here's what we learned uh, as as sort of summed up by Axios. Uh, Here's what we've learned so far from these hearings in North Carolina. After this months-long probe into these irregularities, Director Kim Strzok said that the operative Dallas hired workers paid them about $150 for absentee ballot request forms and another $125 for every 50 absentee ballot collected. The uh, Dallas himself collected nearly eighty four thousand dollars in consulting fees over five months, 
leading into last year's general election, according to the election director. Nice work if you can get it. $84,000 for five months of work. Uh, we've got evidence that uh, workers directly provided Dallas with ballots from uh, these two counties in order to get paid. All illegal. Instructed them to falsely sign as witnesses. All illegal. More than a thousand ballots from both counties were affected. And we're talking about a race that was decided by just 905 votes. Uh, and uh, by the way, Dallas was hired by Harris and that local county sheriff even though and perhaps because Dallas had done this before. And also, I should note, he also spent time in prison, Dallas did, for life insurance fraud after collecting on a policy that he bought on someone's life after they had died. Nonetheless, Republicans in North Carolina apparently had no problem with this guy working their absentee ballot campaign, no problem with the Trump administration completely ignoring the complaints of the exact same thing going back to 2016, while they are all out pretending we need to change laws to keep imaginary voters from voting, which they know will suppress the votes of largely Democratic voters. As Axios observes, the allegations against Harris uh, against uh, the Harris campaign run counter to the baseless claims of rampant uh, voter fraud by Democrats, often trumpeted by President Trump and other Republican officials, national Republicans have been silent on this case in North Carolina, undercutting their own pretend hardline stance on election fraud. That while Harris and his allies are urging the state to certify him as the winner, despite all of this fraud. We'll follow this as the hearings continue uh, this week. An amazing story out of North Carolina. All right, quick break, and we're back with the 10th anniversary of the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. And yes, as noted at the top of the show, uh, we are now celebrating 10 years of the GNR, as noted in our latest Green News Report. The Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act no longer exists for our protection in Hidalgo County, Texas. Bill to avoid government shutdown protects wildlife refuges, but Trump's national emergency puts them back on the chopping block. Plus, it's the Green News Report's 10th anniversary. What? All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It's like Trump's people are saying, I know kids in cages sounded evil. 
So we toned it down. We're just strangling butterflies. <laughs> this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, really? Ten years? A full <laughs> decade of the Green News Report? Yep. And yet you have still failed to save the planet. That is true. But you know what? We'll get to that in a minute. Okay. First, that compromise deal to avoid a government shutdown that was signed by President Trump last week contained carve-outs that shield five ecologically sensitive sites in Texas from devastation caused by President Trump's controversial wall on the border with Mexico, including the beloved National Butterfly Center Wildlife Refuge in the Rio Grande Valley. That's good news. It is, but wait, there's more. In a recent broadcast, the executive director of the National Butterfly Center, Mariana Trevino-Wright, noted that the Department of Homeland Security had legally waived 28 federal laws, including the Endangered Species Act and the Clean Water Act, to accelerate the wall's construction. In addition to destroying habitat that is critical to the survival of dozens of butterfly species, she said that any barrier will also have dire consequences for wildlife. We're getting a 36-foot-tall steel and concrete wall where wildlife is now relegated and trapped. All of the terrestrial wildlife is sentenced to death when the Rio Grande River floods next. Yes, but now that they've come up with a compromise deal, the Butterfly Center will be protected. That's the idea. However, Trump's declaration on Friday of a national emergency puts those sites back in limbo Mm. because it's now unclear if the Trump administration will honor those carve outs in the compromise deal with Congress. Why would they? In a statement to the Green News report, Director Trevino Wright also noted that the funding deal expires in six months and then, quote, we're back on the chopping block. So we have not been spared. We were given a temporary stay of execution. Finally, it's the Green News Report's 10th anniversary. What? We launched our little twice-a-week feature of independent <laughs> environmental news and snark in February of 2009 when we both had raging colds. Yours was worse than mine. Yes, it was. As uh, you can tell in this uh, clip from the very top of our very first Green News Report. It's Tuesday, February 17th, 2009. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. <laughs> so you did not sound good in that report. No, I did not. But we uh, plowed through, and, uh, well, it was the first of 10 years of sheer delight, Desi Doyen. (laughs) Well, over these last 10 years, the science of climate change has only gotten stronger. More Americans than ever are concerned by climate change's growing impacts, despite the fact that the climate change denial industry is still lying to them about it. The Green New Deal framework proposed by Democrats to address climate change with the speed and scope that scientists say is necessary was considered impossible 10 years ago. The next few years in U.S. politics, particularly the outcome of the 2020 election, will help determine the path for the planet for the next couple thousand years. So we're going to keep going. Thank you for listening and for sharing your thoughts with us over these last 10 years. And thank you for spreading the word about the challenges that we face. This country and this planet ain't going to save themselves, but we can all do it together. And I don't know if the Green New Deal is any more possible now, 10 years later. But, hey, it has finally been introduced. 
So we're getting somewhere. By the way, by the end of that first episode, Desi Doyen, you sounded a little bit better when it came to your cold, but I think it clearly set the tone for the snarky comments that would uh, come over the next 10 years. The company that's at the center of the nationwide salmonella outbreak has declared bankruptcy. Uh, the Peanut Corporation of America filed for Chapter 7 liquidation after two plants were raided and the investigators found filthy conditions. The owner of Peanut Corp showed up to testify at a congressional hearing last week. and he didn't Don't ha- smile. There's nothing funny about salmonella. Well, I'm sorry. I or this, dirty nuts. Let me just mention that. So there you go. That's the Green News Report. In a nutshell, if you will. Indeed. We are not supported by uh, corporations or political parties of any type. We rely on you. So please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and I continue for gulp another 10 years on your public airwaves. For much more on those stories we covered today and the ones we couldn't get to, stop by our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Happy anniversary. This has been your Green News Report. Maybe something's wrong with you that makes you act the way you do. Rock on. Rock on, Desi Doy. Congratulations <laughs> on 10 years of the Green News Report. You know, I, I noted at the top of the show that I was uh, much more skeptical when we started 10 years ago uh, about global warming and stuff until I became informed by you. Oh. Funny how actual information on a topic can inform someone about important things that we as voters and residents of this planet need to know about. Yeah. You know, when you hear stuff over your public airwaves, it helps make you smarter. That's Just... accurate, hopefully. And yeah, also, right. yeah, but you're right. Holding on to our public airwaves matters in getting the right information, the correct information out. So thanks again to those of you uh, who have helped make uh, helped us make it this far with 10 years of the Green News Report and recently 15 years of Bradblog.com. By stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to support our efforts, uh, as we say, to stay on your public airwaves. Only with the help from you, the public. Imagine that. Uh, We did, and we still do imagine it, so thanks uh, to you. Uh, But we still do need your help. All right, got to get out. Thanks and congratulations to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and I'm on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>